At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Do you ever feel like the world is spinning out of control? Amidst the world's chaos and growing opposition to our faith, economic hardship, and overwhelming challenges, we can find inspiration from the story of Elijah in 1 Kings. Despite facing an angry king, severe drought, massive opposition, and depression, Elijah lived a powerful and impactful life for God. Join us for our series, Elijah, as we learn how the same God Elijah served can use us to live a life of impact for his kingdom. So we are in this series with Elijah, and I'm going to tell you, Elijah is one of those guys that you look at, and it's kind of tough, because you look and you're like, man, you have such a big faith. You have such a bold faith. Like, I would almost consider Elijah kind of like a rock star of the Old Testament. Maybe rock star is not the best description. Maybe I should say just like he seems like a super saint, right? He seems like this guy that has all his stuff together, but he really doesn't. He's just a guy. And because he's just a guy, he has hurts, habits, and hangups like all of the rest of us. Let's take our Bibles, open up to 1 Kings chapter 19, because we're going to see his struggle today was pride and self-pity. You're going to see, which I know doesn't sound very nice to say self-pity, but you're going to see it as we dive into the text today. Today, you're going to see Elijah is the very lowest. Man, I think that the thing is, most of us, as we're going through our faith journeys, people see parts of your faith journey, right? Most of the time, we don't have a magnifying glass on us at our lowest point in our lives. And yet that's what we, we get a front row seat to Elijah's life in this lowest point. Now in chapter 19, what's interesting is this following chapter 18. In chapter 18, this guy was killing it. Like he was at the top of his game. This is a guy who said, there's gonna be a drought coming. It's gonna be a three-year drought. So king, you ought to get ready for it now. This is the guy who set up the two altars, right? Said to the prophets of Baal, come bring it. Said to King Ahab, Come on, we're going to see who's actually in charge. This is the guy who said the rain is coming. This is the guy who said the rain is here. He has experienced the best. And yet in chapter 19, you're going to see all of a sudden, you're going to see the most difficult of times. In fact, with the whole altars, do you remember how he responded at the end of it? He said, the Lord, he is God. That's where he was. So as the rains came, we left with this cliffhanger, if you will, last week. Do you remember it? With the king in this spot of going, what am I supposed to do? Do I follow the ways of God or do I go back to following the ways of Baal? Do I go back to following my own ways? Do I go fulfilling my own story? Which direction am I going to go? That brings us to our big idea. The big idea is that God's call conquers self-pity. God's call conquers self-pity. You know what I believe? I believe that God's call isn't something that just happened in the Old Testament. God's call is not just something that happened with Peter, James, and John, and the other disciples. That's that's not the only place we see God's call. We see God's call today. And so many of you in this room, right now today, you feel this stirring inside. You feel this bubbling inside where you know that the Lord is calling you, but you're like, what am I supposed to do with this? What am I supposed to do with this call? How am I supposed to discern God's call? How do I know what God is calling me to? So what we're going to see in the text today, we're going to see three ways that God calls, and I believe is calling us today. The first is that God calls us to himself. God calls us to himself. Look at 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to start in verse number one. Scripture says this. 
It says that Ahab, now again, real fast before I jump in, we ended with this. We ended with Elijah gathering up the fabric. Remember, gathered up the fabric of the garments he was wearing. He ran before the king, going to Jezreel, going to the home of the king, announcing the king is coming. You will not believe what God has done. God has brought the rain after a three-year drought. The king is coming. Get ready. So the king gets home, and here's what happens. Ahab told Jezebel, his wife, all that Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So, may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And then he, Elijah, was afraid. He arose and he ran for his life and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and he sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now. Oh, Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down, and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones in a jar of water. And he ate, and he drank, and he lay down again. An angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat. For the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. So I know that we like to look at Elijah as this man of great faith, this man of huge faith, almost like he can do no wrong, but that's not true. He's just a guy. Every single one of us know this feeling. We all do. We all know the feeling of, yeah, I missed, right? We all know this feeling. And so here he is in this place of self-pity. I mean, he is, he is just wallowing in his self-pity. But what's incredible is he's just seen great victory. He has seen great victory over Bel and the prophets and the Israelites and King Ahab. Like he's seen all these victories. He's seen the victory of God bringing the rain, defeating the drought, and bringing life to the earth. He has just seen all of this. And so the king was at this place of a choice, Right? The king is like, what do I do? I just see, like, you cannot mistake what God just did. So he goes home. He tells Jezebel. He tells his wife. Now, Jezebel is not in alignment with the Lord. In fact, she was the one who introduced bell worship to Israel in the first place when she married Ahab. She was the one who gathered up all the prophets of God and slaughtered them. This is Jezebel. So Ahab runs before, he announces the king is coming, like there's this great victory, he's elated, he's like, I'm aligning with the king, this is good, maybe this is going to turn the heart of the king, because this is what prophets do, prophets turn the heart of the people. And then what he ends up with is he ends up with a death threat. He ends up with Jezebel saying, yeah, that's definitely not the direction we're going, I will have your head. And so instead of being a man of faith, Instead of being this man who says, listen, there's, there's nothing you can bring against me. I, I've got the Lord. Instead of that posture, he freaks out, y'all. He runs. Like, he runs. And I don't know if you understand how far he ran. At this time, Israel's into two countries, if you will, two kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom of Israel, and you had Judah. So it literally been split into two. Israel was not one country. It was two, two kingdoms. 
the northern kingdom of Israel, and Judah. Jezreel is up here in the northern kingdom of Israel. He runs all the way to Judah. In fact, you'll see this as Beersheba belongs to Judah. He runs all the way down to Judah, and that's where he gets to this town called Beersheba. And, and he doesn't just like say, I'm good now. Like, I went to a whole other country. I'm good. No, then he looks and he tells the servant, you stay here. And he starts walking. He starts walking way out into the wilderness, gets into the wilderness, a day's journey. So it's not just enough to go all the way down to Beersheba. Then he's going to walk way out into the wilderness. Like now, no one can find me. I'm really far from Jezebel. Now I'm safe. And he comes to this, this broom tree. That's like a scraggly tree with like this canopy of leaves. So it'll put some shade down. And he, he lays down and just starts to rest. Now, why was he so exhausted at this point? Maybe, maybe it was because he was just tired from the journey. That's very, that's very possible. Scripture doesn't really say. I, I think there's more to it, though. I think he's emotionally exhausted. I think he's spiritually exhausted. I think he is spent at this point. But notice it's at this place of being exhausted that the angel comes. Twice. The angel actually comes twice. And look what the angel says. The angel says, arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. Let me say that again. Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. Maybe you've been feeling that today. Maybe you've been feeling that place of going, the journey, man, it's just too much. It's too great. I, I don't know if I can take one more step. And so Elijah does eat and he does drink and that food sustains him for the next 40 days and 40 nights. Sometimes, y'all, I don't know if I can make it past the next 40 minutes. He went 40 days and 40 nights as he travels to Horeb, the Mount of God. Now, most theologians agree that this is also Mount Sinai. Same mountain, different names. Mount Sinai, that's where the Lord appeared to Moses. Do you remember that? The Lord appears to Moses, and Moses is just asking a gob of questions, including like, okay, I want to know your name. Will you just tell me your name? And he says, here's my name, the Lord. The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Abounding, overflowing in steadfast love and faithfulness. I just, I just wonder... What was going through Elijah's mind? Because my suspicion is that we look at him and we think, well, you're kind of puffed up and prideful a little bit. Now, you're a little stuck on yourself, but you do know his calling was to be a prophet, right? And a prophet's whole job was to speak and the people line their ways with God's ways. They repent from their sin and they turn to God. And it seemed like that's what, exactly what was happening with Elijah. Like he spoke and we recognize that there was going to be a drought. He spoke, the fire comes and consumes the altar. You know, he, he speaks, he prays, and, and then comes the rain. But then he hears this death threat against him, which says, no, the rulers haven't changed. They haven't changed at all. So he is in this place of feeling like, as a prophet, it's like the Lord's holding you right in the palm of his hand. But now that he's blown it and he didn't do a good enough job as a prophet, can't you imagine that he's picturing God saying, well, next up, because you didn't do good enough. You ever, you ever felt that way? Man, clearly, I, I didn't have what it takes to do the job, so I guess I, I'm out. No, 
the Lord says that he is steadfast in his love and faithfulness. This is the moment with the angel where it's almost like the Lord is saying, hey, Elijah, I get it. I get it that you're tired and exhausted. I'm going to pull you close to my heart in this moment. I'm going to pull you close and I'm going to restore your heart in this moment. So the Little League World Series is happening this afternoon. Right? Every year, man, every year about this time, it's fun to watch because these 12-year-olds get out there. And I think it's a team from California who's playing in the championship. I don't know who they're playing. Do we know yet who they're playing? What country? Okay, whatever, whatever was just said. <laughs> whatever was just said. So, yeah, the U.S. against the world. That's what's going to happen in uh, the Little League World Series. But here we know every single time what happens, don't we? What's going to happen is you're going to have this 12-year-old, and he's going to be up to bat, and he's going to think, like, I need a double so I can drive this run in. Instead, he's going to, he's going to ground, not just ground up, but ground into a double, and the inning's going to be over. And he's going to be like, I blew it. Like, we could have caught up, and I just blew it. Or the sun's going to get in someone's eyes, and he's going to drop an easy pop fly. Or he's going to go to throw to first, and he's just, the nerves are going to get to him. He's going to totally overthrow first. Every single time that one of these kids blow it, what do they do? The head goes down. Because they feel like, man, I let my team down, I let my, my town down, I let my family, I let everybody down, I let my whole nation down. This is on ESPN, right? I let everyone down, and, and here's every time, this is the best. And sometimes it's the coach, and they're mic'd up, and honestly, I don't even like that. I'd rather not have that. My favorite is when one of their teammates walks over, takes her glove hand, and kind of takes that glove and pops her chin up. Almost this place of like, hey, this game's not over, so get your head out of your belly button right? Stop it. This is not over. There's a lot of game left and we need you. So get your, get your head in the game. Like, let's get focused. Let's play. Like, we're here because you've worked your tail off to help get us here. So let's finish strong. And man, sometimes you end up with some of the best stories out of that, don't you? When you see this kid come and make like this incredible play later on in the game, because they're like, yeah, my, my team was around me. They were around. That's what we see with the Lord in this moment. We see the Lord pressing into Elijah saying, hey, Elijah, great. You slept under the broom tree for a little bit, but that's done. You're going to get up. You're going to go to the mountain of God. That's where I had this meeting with Moses. I'm getting ready to have a meeting with you. So why don't you start walking to the mountain? Because that's where we're going to have a talk, you and I. Do you see that? That's the same for us. Now, maybe you're here today and you're feeling like, man, there is no hope. All hope is gone. It's, it's that place with you in life. And I'm just telling you, the Lord... He is gentle and, and, and merciful, and he's going to bring you close to restore your heart. And maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe that's never happened for you. You've never stopped. And part of the reason is this right here. You maybe have heard people like me year after year say, hey, you need to give your life to Jesus. And in your heart, you're almost like, man, I just need to get my life cleaned up first. I don't know that I'm worthy of God loving me. So if I can just get this one thing beat first, if I can just start to do this first, then I'll surrender my life to Jesus. Man, my hope is that today you see that God is calling you to himself. This is where it all begins, right here, right now. God is calling you to himself. And it takes those first steps of faith. It takes that step of saying, I'm never going to be clean enough to go to a holy and an awesome God. So Lord, here I am. That's why I need Jesus in the first place. Man, let today be that day. Following the service, we'll have a prayer team right up front. They're always up here. And if you're in that position of going, I, I don't even know what that first step of faith looks like, we'd love to pray with you. 
We'd love to talk with you about how to take that step of faith. But next we see that God calls us to the truth. Look down at verse, verse number nine. It says, then Elijah, then he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, it's the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, well, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Look down at verse number 18. Look what the Lord says. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Now, I've been pretty excited, actually, for this passage right here. So Elijah is working his way to the mountain. And as he's working his way to the mountain, there comes this cave, and he goes into the cave to rest there. Now, why did he really go in the cave? Because Scripture doesn't say. Why did he really go into the cave? Maybe, maybe it was evening time, and if you're sleeping outside, like, critters can get you, right? And so you, you don't want to stay outside if you can help it, like it's dangerous out there. So he's like, I'm going to the cave for safety, I mean, I'm just going to spend the night. That's all. Maybe. I, I don't think, based on the text, that's it at all. You know what I think? I think he was walking along. He saw this cave, and he's like, I, I tried to tell him I'm done. Seriously. Like, I'm working my way to the mountain. Fine. I got to the mountain, but I'm going to go into this cave now because I'm out. Like, I tried. I failed. I wanted to get, I think it's a pity party. That's what I think. His head's back in his belly button again. He is, he is head, here's why. He gets in that cave, and what does the Lord say? Hey, Elijah, why are you here? And did you hear his response? Well, Lord, I, even I only, I'm the only one left. And they're wanting to kill me, Lord. They're wanting to take my life. And so the Lord says, I want you to go, and I want you to stand out here. I want you to see what's getting ready to happen. It's almost like the Lord says, this is how I appeared to Moses, this is what that interaction with Moses looks like. I'm going to have that same interaction with you. And so he comes in the wind. He comes in the fire, right? He comes in the earthquake. And what does Elijah say? Yeah, Lord, I get it. You're the Lord over nature. I was there with the fire. Remember the whole altar thing? I was there. I've experienced it. I know you're the Lord over all of nature. That wasn't doing it. But then the Lord came in this still, low whisper. That's what got his attention. Has that ever happened to you? Has that ever happened to you where it's almost like the quietness 
of the Lord was screaming to you? Because that's what happened to Elijah. The quietness of the Lord was screaming to Elijah. Hey, Elijah, I am here and I am God. Make no mistake, I'm still in control. That's what's going on in this moment. And it got Elijah's attention. Completely got his attention. For the third time in verse 13, it says, behold. It keeps repeating that word, behold, behold, behold. In verse number nine, God asked Elijah the same question again. Hey, Elijah, why are you here? And Elijah counters with the same response. I, only I, Lord, am faithful. And just so you know, I'm in this cave because Jezebel's trying to kill me, and I believe she's serious. Jezebel's trying to get me, Lord. They want to kill me. My life is on the line. You want to know why I'm in the cave? That's why. I don't know what else I'm supposed to do. I literally have no idea what else I'm supposed to do. It's all about perspective, isn't it? Perspective changes everything. So God says, Elijah, you keep saying you're alone. You keep repeating that. You're not alone. There's 7,000 who stand with you. You've just been having a pity party so long, you can't see it. But you're not alone. It's perspective. It'd be that same Little League World Series this afternoon. If, if you see the shortstop and the shortstop's got a, got a chip on his shoulder. And the players ask him, like, man, what's wrong with you? Why the attitude? He's like, oh, I'm supposed to be playing center field, so I look like the all-star running around catching all the fly balls. Said, I'm stuck here in the infield. Or it'd be like if, if the Lions make the Super Bowl and they announce the starting offense for the Lions and everybody goes crazy and the linebacker walks over the sideline and throws his helmet down. Well, I didn't get my name announced over the loudspeaker, only the offense, you know. And you almost want to grab that guy, look at him and say, hey, you're in the Super Bowl and you play for the Lions. This is kind of a big deal. You know, it's a real big deal, you know, or with that kid, like, you're on ESPN. This is a big deal. It's perspective. Perspective changes everything. God calls us to truth. That's what he's reminding Elijah of in these moments. Hey, Elijah, I'm still here and I'm still God. You need to be reminded of the truth. So here in a couple weeks, we're starting our fall ministries, and I, I just want you to hear the heart behind so much of what happens. The elders and I, the staff team, we work really hard to remove obstacles for the whole church family. We want to remove obstacles to the gospel. We want to remove obstacles for you to be able to be in areas where you can be accountable to the truth. So on Monday nights, we're starting Celebrate Recovery in the month of September, Celebrate Recovery focuses on hurts, habits, and hangups. We all need recovery because we all have hurts, habits, and hangups. So on Monday nights, man, we're going to dive in and we're going to provide an environment where that can happen. On Tuesday nights, our men's ministry will be meeting. Now, if you're one of those guys that you're like, you know what I'm really looking for? I'm looking for a place where we can come in, you know, have like a two-minute Devo and just eat some pizza and hang out and talk about hunting. That's what I want. That's not this. Like, if, if that's what you're looking for, that ain't what you're going to find on Tuesday. You're going to find an environment where iron sharpens iron. That's what you're going to find. You're going to play, find a place where guys are very intentional and encouraging one another towards Christ's likeness. At going to the word and saying, Lord, we're trusting you to do something through your word in our lives. On Wednesday is when our students will be meeting. Student ministry is happening all over this building. Now, maybe when you were growing up, Student ministry was this time where it's like, hey, everyone's going to come together and we're going to break out the PlayStation. We're going to play video games all night. No, that, that ain't what we're doing. Now we're getting serious about the study of the word. 
We're saying God is calling us to truth. On Thursday mornings and Thursday nights is our women's ministry. If you're looking for a place where you can talk about, about your family and your kids and have tea and crumpets, like that's not this. That's not this. This is a place where just like Tuesday with the men, these are ladies where it's iron sharpening iron. It is diving into the word of God. It is studying. It's getting in each other's lives and encouraging one another that God is calling us to the truth. Man, we want you to have these environments. And then all throughout the week, we also have life groups going on all at the same time. We just want to be so intentional as a church in these areas. The final thing that we're going to see is that God calls us to serve. Look at verse 15. And the Lord says to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, son of Shaphat of Abel-Mahole, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. So Elijah is having this pity party. I, only I am left. And God's like, okay, enough of that. Enough of it. Like you're a prophet, it's time to get back to work. You're a prophet, it's time to get back to serving others because that's your calling. So get out of this cave and go. Go and serve others. You're going to go and you're going to go anoint the king over Syria. You're going to anoint Haziel, and then you're going to go anoint the king of of Israel with Jehu, and then you're not going to be here forever. I have this fiery chariot thing waiting for you, and you don't know that yet, but you're going to anoint Elisha Elijah and Elisha, different guys, right? You're going to anoint Elisha, and you're going to bring him in, and you're going to show him what to do, but it's time to get back to work. I get why he was frustrated, because Elijah thought, I get to see the downfall of Baal, it wasn't time for that yet. Baal will fall, as will King Ahab, as will Jezebel. They will all fall, but the word of the Lord remains. The word of the Lord remains, and there is this calling on Elijah's life. Not that God needs Elijah. God doesn't need us to be God, but he invites Elijah to be part of what he's doing, and he says, go. Get out of this cave. It is time to go. So you're to remain faithful in the calling that God has given. We follow the way of Christ. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the calling that we have. It's a high calling in the Lord. Jesus said, I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, teaching them. He says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's your home. Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, your region to the very ends of the earth. That's the mission we're on. The Lord has called us to serve. You want to know the quickest way out of self-pity? Start to serve others. Start to be there for others. Start to pray for others. Help meet their needs. Come in with McRest. Spend some hours with these men, just talking to them, hearing about their lives, hearing where they are, encouraging them towards Christ's likeness. So I do want to leave you with this. Some of you, a long time ago, you were a little bitty boy, you were a little bitty girl, you gave your life to Christ. Some of you, you were in the student ministry, and you'll never forget that evening where you sat there and you're like, there's something different about tonight. Man, I just feel the Lord stirring, and you just couldn't help it anymore. And that, that was the moment you gave your life to Jesus. For some of you, 
You were an adult that was later in life. For some of you, today's your day. Today is that day. I just want to make one thing clear. These items on this card, here's what I don't want you to approach it with. I don't want you to approach it with, well, for us to be able to hold church at Woodside Romeo, I need this many people in the band and this many people on the tech team and this many people at the doors and this many people, and you're here to fill those needs. That's not what this is. You see, you have passions. You have those things that fire you up, that fire up the heart of God. You have burdens, things that break your heart, that break the heart of God. You have spiritual gifts. Those are those areas where the Holy Spirit of God works in and through you. You have some talents. You have things where you've just been trained in how to do certain things. I want to see you using those passions and burdens and gifts and talents to God's glory. He's given them to you for a reason. That's why this card is for you, not not for us. This is where you get to take everything that you are and say, Lord, I want to offer my body as a holy sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And so I'm going to take what I have and I'm giving it to you to know you and to make you known because I'm telling you, it matters. It matters to our kids. It matters to our students. It matters to our church family on Sunday morning. It matters to the church family throughout the week. It matters. Lord, we do thank you. We thank you for the high calling you've placed on our lives You have called us to yourself. And so, Lord, for those that maybe they um, have never surrendered their life to you, I do pray that they take a bold step of faith today, that they surrender all. I pray for the brother or sister that maybe they're just in that hard, difficult spot, that they feel your holy presence, that they're aware of your presence being there to gently restore. Lord, you've called us to truth. You've called us to serve. Let us be faithful. Let us be bold. Let us have ears to hear. In those moments, Lord, we pray for the renewal and the transformation of our minds. Lord, more than anything, we pray that you continue to be glorified. And that you give us glimpses of your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.